You are listening to the Midtown Church Podcast, a ministry that exists to make Jesus known. Um, We begin a new series today, a series on the topic of prayer that we've entitled Honest to God. Uh, If you're new, we just finished a series on Ephesians, and so what we're going to do through the summer, and this will take place throughout all of summer, is we're going to walk through this series together. Today, home base is Luke chapter 11. You can find that text. We're looking at the first four verses in it, but we're not going to get there for a while. Um, And I'm actually only going to make one comment coming out of those four verses. Uh, We're going to go all over the place in this series. We're going to begin, like I said today in Luke 11, but next week we're going to look at two parables over two Sundays that Jesus gives on prayer. But then what we're going to do with the remaining Sundays is we're going to look at specific prayers in the Old and New Testament and see what we can learn from them. So for example, um, before we go to the Old Testament, we're going to go to Acts chapter 12 after those parables. We're going to look at the praying church the church that is coming together to pray for the release of Peter. And what stands out about that event is that God answers their prayer, even though it looks like they don't have much faith in their prayer. We're going to kind of figure out what all that means. We're then going to go to 2 Corinthians 12, and we're going to look at a prayer of Paul recorded there where God answers no. Paul prays actually three times, intensive prayers, I would argue, and God answers No. So we're going to look at that. But then we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to look at some prayers there. One of them in Exodus 32 is the prayer of Moses where he intercedes on behalf of the people of Israel. This is coming out of the golden calf situation. And God wants to destroy them. And Moses stands in the gap. We're going to look at that. Then we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to look look at this prayer of longing from Hannah. Then we're going to go all the way back to Genesis 21, and we're going to look at this prayer of grief by Hagar. And then we're going to end our time by looking at two other prayers in the Psalms, a prayer of lament in Psalm 10, and then a prayer of thanksgiving in Psalm 34. And then we're going to call it a day, and going into fall, we're we're going to do a panorama on the book of Luke. We're not going to go through Luke verse by verse, but we're going to look at various encounters of Jesus in the book of Luke. We're going to call the series Encounters, not a very creative name, but it kind of encapsulates what the series about is about. We're not going to look at specific teachings of Jesus in Luke as much as the person of Jesus in the book of Luke and see what we can discover about, about him in that in that way. What is my goal for this series? Well, it's pretty simple, really. I want us to be a praying church. I want Midtown to be known as a a praying church. I also want you personally to, to see your practice of prayer deepen, but I don't want it just to be about you individually. I want it to be something that we realize corporately, but in that, I also want us to come to a place where people discover who this God is that we're praying to. So that's my goal. 
That's what I've been praying about in preparation all the way up to this morning. I want this to be realized in us. But I have to say this about the topic of prayer is when we talk about the practice, many of us feel very guilty. And I don't want to add to your guilt. That's not my desire. But in saying that, I want us to maybe be, be helped in considering why most of us, not all of us, but most of us feel a little inadequate in our prayer life. Perhaps help us consider why don't we pray as much as we would like to? Because as I said last week, if you were here, most of us feel that way. Studies show that, statistics show that, that even though we feel prayer is very important, we don't practice it like we want. So why is that? Why is there prayerlessness in our lives, or at least in many of our lives? That's the question that I'm going to answer the best I can today. And then we'll go to Luke chapter 11, like I said, on the back end, but we'll spend very little time on it. So what are the causes of prayerlessness, at least some of them? Let me give you a handful. Here's the first, if you like taking notes. The first is self-reliance. It kills prayer. Uh, few things, by the way, are more unchristian than self-reliance. Self-reliance kills many things, but it kills prayer. We, we don't pray for our daily bread. Why? Well, because we have two fridges, right, that are full, and a freezer that has stuff in it from years ago. Stuff you're, you're scared to find. So that's, that's why. And if we don't, if our fridges empty, we get in the car, we drive a, a couple of clicks, and we buy more food with the money that we have, and we drive back, and we fill the fridges that, that we have. We have jobs. We have cash. We have friends. We have family. We have government assistance. We have our health. Until we don't. And then we pray. We pray for jobs, and we pray for cash, and we pray for love, and we pray for a room over our, our roof over our head, and, and we pray for our health. That's when we pray. I, I was listening to a pastor share a story about a friend of his who was a chaplain in a hospital in the city, and one day he got called to go to a room to pray for a man who had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. Would he come and pray, pray for him? Of course. But when he went to the room, the man met him there and says, you've wasted your, your time. I'm sorry to have wasted your time. They actually read off the wrong charts. True story. I don't have cancer, so I don't need you anymore. I wonder if that doesn't sum up many people's prayer lives. Everything is fine right now, God. I've got this. I really don't need you right now. I'll call you if, if I do. When I think of the debilitating nature of self-reliance, and as I was considering this this week, my mind went to Jesus' letter in Revelation 3 to the church in Laodicea, where in his address to that church, he says to them, you say I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. So why pray? 
in the church that I pastored before Midtown, uh, we had a weekly morning prayer meeting that a few faithful people came to until a moment in our, our ministry life early on when, when a woman got cancer, terminal cancer. It looked like at that time it turned out to be true. And that small little morning prayer meeting grew exponentially over a couple of weeks. Is it good to pray for those who have cancer? Of course, it's good and right. We should pray for those who are dealing with illness, sickness, and, and the like. But after the urgency wore off, the group went, group went back to its original size. Other things weren't quite as pressing, I guess. A, a parable of prayer that we're going to look at in a couple of weeks I referred to it last week, begins, now Jesus told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. I pray this becomes our reality, yours and mine. A second cause of prayerlessness is apathy. We just don't burn hot like perhaps we used to. Apathy is from the Greek and it means without suffering. Uh, pathos is the word suffering, ah, like you would use it in asexual or atheist means there's nothing there, without. So without suffering, without sympathy, without feeling. Truth be told, if we went and dove deep into our heart of hearts, we just aren't that concerned about people outside of our bubble or the spiritual disease that is eating away at the souls in, in the city. Jesus did say that he came for the sick. Spiritual sickness. But some of us, it seems, doesn't see that kind of sickness quite as serious as others, even though the eternal ramifications are far greater. When, when I think about apathy, my mind goes to Jesus' letter, this time to Sardis in Revelation chapter 3, where he says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Strengthen what, what remains. I don't know about you, maybe I'm the only one here today, but there have been seasons in my life where that that seems to be the letter Jesus would have written to me. You have a reputation for being alive. But truth be told, there's deadness in you right now. Strengthen what remains. This too is my prayer during this, this series, that we, whoever that we may be, by God's help, by God's grace, would strengthen what remains. And he wants to. Jesus himself invites us to come to him. But who does he invite to come to him? Those who are weary. He compares those to, that he invites to come to him as smoldering wicks. You don't even have a fire anymore. You just got a little smoke. Bruised reeds or broken reeds, you're not standing straight anymore, you're bruised and broken. He says, come to me. Come to me, I'll restore you. I'm lowly in heart, meaning that he, 
He goes deep with us. He doesn't stand over us to chastise us. He goes deep with us and he invites us to be restored. That's, that's my prayer. That's my prayer because Midtown, we've come through a difficult 18 months, yes? Angst, fear, death, unemployment, factions, disagreements, loneliness, didn't have each other, feeling beat up. Come to me, Jesus said. Talk more about that on the back end, that great sweet invitation of our Jesus. A third cause of prayerlessness is guilt. Guilt that comes because we know we're not living in a way that is pleasing to God. Guilt that comes perhaps through a, by way of a practice sin, an ongoing sin, or guilt that comes perhaps by way of a, an un, non-reconciled relationship that we're resisting dealing with. We just don't want to. And so we don't deal with these things either because we can't imagine living our life without that sin we're practicing. Or we just don't want to humble ourselves and make things right with that person. And what does it do? It keeps us from praying. It's very possible to fake a prayer life in a group. You could come to Saturday morning prayer walks. You could show up at the midweek, starting this week, 7 o'clock, and pray. You can fake a prayer life with others. It's almost impossible to fake a prayer life by yourself. It makes those secret rooms places we just don't want to go to. My prayer as well in this series is that we would be restored like Jesus restored Peter, leading to a greater intimacy with Jesus. Do you remember Peter? Peter post-denial. Peter did what we often do when we're living in guilt. He got busy. He didn't deal with it. He got busy. He went fishing. And that's often what we do. We just get busy with other things. We fill our life up with other things to take our mind off the guilt and take our minds off the things of Jesus. And again, my prayer is that we would be restored by Jesus like he restored Peter. You see, here's the thing. Guilt is a wonderful thing. Guilt is a great gift of God. One of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to bring guilt. Guilt is a good thing. Living in it is not. God doesn't want us to live in, in guilt. But guilt is a demonstration of how much God wants you, how much God loves you. Guilt is the presence of the Holy Spirit. When you feel guilty about that practice or that non-reconciled relationship, that means God is standing close. And he invites you back to him. Speaking of busyness, as I mentioned, the busyness of Peter, it too is a cause of prayerlessness. But sometimes it's busy doing the right things. Working but not praying. That was Martha. We all know Martha. 
Martha and her sister Mary, brother was Lazarus. We know the event, I think most of us do, that I'm referring to. Jesus has come into the home of Mary and Martha. Martha, taking care of things, great host running back and forth, getting the appetizers, putting the music on, seeing people at the, at the door, inviting them in. Busy, 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 busy. Mary is chilling at the feet of Jesus. Martha's ticked. She's so ticked, she can't even talk to Mary. She talks to Jesus. Says, Jesus, you tell Mary to get busy. This is what Jesus says in response. You can see it on the screen from Luke 10. Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice. You know what's interesting about that event as Luke records it is that just a couple of verses before that, that interchange between Martha and Jesus, Luke records that Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Distracted from what? Not what, who? Jesus was in the living room. And she was busy doing other things and missing it. I, I know we're all busy. And the last thing I want to do is to add another item to your to-do list. I, I don't want to do that. But, but I do want us to consider perhaps we've said yes to the wrong things, even good things, and it's distracting us from Jesus. I, I also pray that over the summer, we come to see prayer not as another obligation, not as another item on our to-do list, but see it as I mentioned last week as the very air we breathe. To see it as a privilege, an honor, a sweet time that we can't wait to get up in the morning and be with Jesus or be done at the end of the day and be with Jesus. But as we go through the day, morning to night, we're with Jesus too. That's what I want us to see. Martin Luther famously said, I have so much to do today, I just can't imagine getting through it all without at least four hours of prayer. One of the first books I read on prayer about a thousand years ago was titled, Too Busy Not to Pray. Probably an appropriate title for some of us. Another cause of prayerlessness is anger at God. Do you remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, big fish Jonah. Jonah is the poster child of this. Jonah was angry at God. God had the audacity of being merciful with a group of people that Jonah hated, the Israelites' enemy. God extended mercy to the people of Nineveh, and Jonah was ticked off, and he told God, so God's response to Jonah was, do you do well or is it right for you to be angry? He asked that question twice, in fact, of Jonah. Is your, Jonah, is your anger serving you well? I, I borrow this idea 
But if, if God is big enough to, to be angry at for not coming through in a way that we think, we, we think he should have, then is it possible that he's big enough to be trusted even if we don't understand why he didn't? For example, let's say an earthquake hits a nation, dozens are killed in the earthquake. You drive over to my house, knock on my door, I open the door, you start getting angry at me for not doing something. What would I say? What could I do? It's an earthquake. I couldn't do anything. But God could. He's that big. And so I ask the question again, if he's that big, is he not big enough to be trusted even when things don't go according to the plans of those who stand no chance against an earthquake? Could his ways be higher than ours? His thoughts deeper than ours? The problem with anger is that for some, anger can become their identity. It, it can become the fire that they warm themselves by. They find comfort in their anger. But if, if that's the case with perhaps some of you, I ask the question of God to you that he posed to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry, is it serving you well? Or has that anger become a foothold that is keeping you from the practice of prayer? A sixth of seven causes of prayerlessness, here's the sixth and the seventh, as I said, will launch us into our text that we'll spend just a couple of minutes in. A sixth cause is faithlessness. Faithlessness. We're going to talk about this more in a couple of weeks, but to tease it, in a parable on prayer, Jesus ends by saying, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In other words, Jesus is equating prayer with an expression of faith, which is how I would define prayer. What is prayer? Simply, if you just whittle it down, prayer is an expression of faith. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is going back to God based on his word and expressing it. Faith gets evidence in our lives by how we live, but it gets evidence in our lives by how we communicate with God. That's why James writes, you do not have because you do not ask. And one of the reasons why we don't ask is because we don't believe. We don't trust. We don't take God at, at his word. If that's you, perhaps the cry, I believe, help my unbelief, should be what you should be praying over and over again this summer. And last, we don't pray because we, we don't know how, which takes us to Luke 11. By the way, not to make you, not make you freak out, I'm... Choosing 
uh, starting today to teach out of a different translation. Not that that would cause many of you to freak out. I'm sure it doesn't. I've taught um, out of the ESV um, for the last oh, 20 years or so. Uh, but I'm moving to the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. Um, and uh, you can Google search it. You can see their philosophy of, of Bible translation. I, I think it's a good mixture of word-for-word -word translation Bibles like the ESV and thought-for-thought -thought translations like the NIV. Don't go out and buy a bunch of new Bibles. I'm not saying you have to. ESV is a great translation. NIV is a great translation. I've just chosen to use the best one. So Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Thank you for laughing. Verses 1 to 4. He, that's Jesus, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John, that's John the Baptist, also taught his disciples, he said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us in, into temptation. Some of you, I'm sure most of you know and recognize what this prayer is. This is Luke's recording of something called the Lord's Prayer, commonly called uh, the Lord's Prayer. There's a longer version of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. The ask of the disciples in verse 1 is really the impetus behind this series. They come to Jesus in verse 1 and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. They, they couldn't have asked a better guy couldn't have asked anyone better. Um, Jesus taught on prayer much. Uh, in the Sermon on the Mount that I just referred to, Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7, Jesus teaches on prayer a couple of times there. But he also shares parables on prayer. As I've mentioned, we're going to look at two of them. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing about Jesus. He didn't only teach on prayer, he prayed. He was a, he was a practitioner. He prayed all the time. Before raising Lazarus, he prayed. His longest recorded prayer is in John 17 and takes place in the upper, upper room on the night of his betrayal. I've done a whole series on John 17. He prays three times in the Garden of Gethsemane that same night. There are three recorded prayers of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. My God, my God, why have you abandoned or forsaken me? Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Jesus prays at his baptism. In the lead up to walking on the water, he had been, been praying. He prays all night before the choosing of the 12. He prays before Peter's confession that he was the Christ. He, he prays at his transfiguration. He prays that Peter's faith wouldn't fail. He prays before the feedings of the 5,000 and 4,000. He prayed and fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. The writer of Hebrews records the prayer life of Jesus this way. You can read this behind me. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. And it was coming out of a time of prayer that the disciples here in Luke chapter 11 asked Jesus 
to teach us to pray. But perhaps the verse that sums up the prayer life of Jesus best is in Luke 5, verse 16, where we read, Jesus often withdrew to deserted places and he prayed. He taught on prayer and he prayed often. Because this is a whole summer series, I, I don't feel the pressure to say everything I want to about prayer today. In fact, I couldn't. All summer is not enough time to talk about prayer. So let me end our time uh, with that in mind that there's more weeks to come by highlighting just one thing about prayer from our text. Just one thing. And then we'll respond. That one thing is that Jesus, in this time of teaching on prayer, says to us before anything else, prayer must be God-focused, not we-focused. Take a look at verse 2 one more time. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy, your kingdom come. Um, you may know this, but if you don't, it's important to know about the Lord's Prayer is that the Lord's Prayer shouldn't simply be recited again and again. Not wrong to recite it. It is Scripture. It's good to know it, good to recite it. But the Lord's, Lord's Prayer, more than that, is to serve as a template. It's to, to give us a pattern for prayer. And Jesus begins this pattern layout by saying that our pattern for, for prayer should begin with God. It is God who we must pursue most in prayer. It's, it's his glory. It's his exaltation. It's his kingdom realization on earth that should be our aim when we pray, that it's his name that should be honored in the world above all else, not just thrown out as a cuss word, but instead be worshiped. If you learn that the Lord's Prayer growing up, or excuse me, if you learn the Lord's Prayer going up, you perhaps learned like I did, this idea that the first part of the Lord's Prayer was just a declaration that God is holy. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. It is a declaration that God's name is holy, that he is holy, but it's more than that. It's much more than that. The beginning of this prayer is a missional cry that should be all of ours. That, that again, God's name, speaking in totality, when I use the word God's, or idea of God's name, I'm talking about who God is and his wholeness and totality would be seen as great in the world. It's a prayer that people in our city would come to know who God is personally and fully, that his name would be honored on earth like it is in heaven. That's what Jesus is calling us to. That's the pattern he's, he's, he's giving us. But too often, instead of approaching God for God himself, we approach God with a shopping list. We crawl up on God's lap like, like we used to crawl up on the lap of Santa. And we give him four or five things that we would love to see under the tree and then we move on. Our prayers are often far more concerned with our kingdom, not his. We want our name seen as great. We can be far more concerned about who's following us, who's liking us, 
than who's following God and, and loving Him. It, in beginning this way, giving us this pattern in this order, what, what Jesus is calling us to is to recalibrate. Because so often we go through our lives, we have no eyes at all on God. And when we go to him in prayer, it's still on us. And what Jesus is saying, no, be about God first and always. Let it flow through everything. It's a call to turn our eyes to God and worship him simply because he is God and be reminded that he sits supreme. He's in control even though at times, and sometimes it's many times, during seasons like we just came through and we wonder, is, is he in control? This reminds us that he is. It reminds us that he should be our first pursuit and be more important than even our needs and wants. Are our needs and wants important? Should we not pray for our needs? Well, of course. But I remind you again, taking your minds back to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said there, seek first his kingdom. That's the Lord's prayer. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of those things, they'll be added unto you. In Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, the longest prayer of Jesus recorded in the scriptures, he prays this, and you can see it on the screen. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God. This is what salvation means. That they know you. That's the first part of the Lord's Prayer. John 17, 3. This is my prayer, that they know you. This is eternal life, that they know you. God for God himself. And here's the thing, we get to I mean, Midtown, we get to know the one who created the cosmos and everything outside of the cosmos. In fact, we get to know him personally, intimately. And one of the great avenues to that end is prayer. That which is greatest in everything and everywhere, God himself invites you to himself. He doesn't merely exist to give us things but to give us God. He invites us to taste and see that he is good. As I wrap up, probably um, the greatest example of one who sought God like this was Job. We know the story of Job, most of us. What did Satan say to God about Job? Satan said to God that the only reason Job worships you, God, is because of what you've blessed him with. Take it away, he'll curse you. And essentially everything was taken away. Everything, essentially, taken away. And what we read famously about Job is that in mourning, he tore his robe, He shaved his head. He fell on the ground. And he worshiped. Saying, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That too is the first part of the Lord's Prayer. 
Job was honoring the name of the Lord in the world. Later in chapter 13, he declares, even if he kills me, I will hope in him. And Satan was proven wrong because Satan doesn't get love. He doesn't understand the love of God for God himself. Midtown, I, I don't want essentially everything taken away from me and you. But what if it was? What if it was? Is, is God plus nothing else good enough? My time is done. Midtown, is it possible that we struggle in our prayer lives because our prayers are more self-centered than God-centered? Far more concerned about our place in the world than God's name being known in the world? Is it possible? And is it possible that our frustration that comes with God not answering, answering our prayers at least like we would like comes because God loves us far too much then to give us our idols? Because that's oftentimes what our prayer lives are, right? Idolatry cast heavenward. That he loves us far too much to give us those things that we place more reliance on than himself. Is that possible? Here's my homework assignment. I, not, I know not all of you resonate with what I've taught. Some of you are rock stars, right? You're rock stars, you feel great about your prayer life. Fabulous, then you pray for others. My homework assignment is for those of you who struggle in prayer. That, that maybe one or more of those causes for prayerlessness are real in your life. If that's you, here's my homework assignment. If you struggle, then I ask that you spend this week and mark out time in prayer, but do just two things and mark it out. You got a phone, make an appointment and repeat it every day. Here's what I want you to do though in that time. If you struggle, one, just thank God for things. Just thank God. If every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, then thank him for everything. Thank you that I can talk, that I walk, that I have friends. Thank you that I, da, 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 you fill in the blanks. Just thank him every day, just thank him. And if you, and don't close your eyes, look. Don't bow your heads, don't fold your hands, just look. Thank you God for this, that. And if you struggle with that, go to KISS, look at the world, it's beautiful. Thank him for it. And second, get honest. Honest to God. 
if, if you don't burn hot for him, let him know because he knows already. He could write a letter to each one of us. He knows us. And tell him, God, I don't burn hot for you. If that's you, I don't love you like I used to. But I want to. Even if that want is just a smoldering little wick, he won't snuff it out. Tell him, I want to. I want to. To borrow from the great Jonathan Edwards, God, stir my affections. God, to borrow from Paul in Romans 5, pour out your love into my heart. God, to borrow from Paul in our study of Ephesians, give me the strength to comprehend how much you love me. Do it. I double dog dare you. And you can't turn down a double dog dare. I double dog dare you to do it. Thank him and be honest with him. This week, and the week after, and the week after, and see what he does. I mentioned earlier the season that we've come through. It's been a hard season. Been a really hard season. I wouldn't be surprised, I said this to the first gathering, that some of you coming out of this season, you feel pretty beat up. Perhaps a little dead inside. Perhaps far from God. It, it, it shouldn't be a surprise. We've gone through a difficult season, to say the least. As I've mentioned, we've lost things. We've been separate from one another. It's been hard. Some of us have gotten very comfortable being by ourselves, and we've been duped into thinking that that's okay. If, if you're one that feels like I'm just hanging on, that yes, Norm, this resonates with me. Yes, Norm, I don't feel close to God. Yes, Norm, this is what is going in, on inside of me. If that's you, then I'm going to take a chance today and ask you to stand and to be prayed for. And, and here's the thing. I'm standing already, but I'm standing first. Because these last two years have been hard. And some of you have gone through hard things too. I left a ministry, I walked into a pandemic. And it hasn't been great. And there has been internal struggles. And I have felt beat up. And I don't think I'm alone. I don't think I'm alone. Let, can we not play church today? Can we be the church? Let's not go to church. Let's not play church. Let's be the church. I'm asking, would anybody stand with me and to be prayed for? I'll give you that opportunity, then we'll pray and we'll respond. Would anybody stand?
Oh, praise God. Don't stand if you don't want to. Don't stand because you feel pressured. Oh, praise God. This is what the church is to be. Here's what I'm going to ask. I want you to, if you're comfortable, just put out your hands and let's pray for one another. I'll lead us. But just that act of us standing together, being honest to God together. So put your hands out if you're okay with that and let me pray. Let me pray for you. Pray for us. Father, I thank you for the faith that is being expressed right now. Even if it's faith right now the size of a mustard seed, I thank you for the faith being expressed. People in their vulnerability, transparency, saying to one another, for we, we need one another, and saying to the heavenlies, to the heavenlies. I'm struggling in certain things and I don't want to be that way anymore. So help, help, please, God. Stir my affections. Help me to return to the love I had at first. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. These are prayers you love to answer, Father, so please answer. Whether it's in a moment or whether this is the beginning of a journey, just please answer. I pray that we as the body, we see people standing, first gathering, second gathering, that that picture, this picture, would remind us to pray for one another, to not give up, pray always. So may we be a people praying for one another so that as we go through this summer together, we will look back on July 4th, this, this day of opening, Independence Day, where we look back and go, that was a moment in time that I won't forget. That this would be a sweet time, leading to sweet times ahead. Protect this group. The enemy loves to take this stuff, protect them. I pray that this transparency modeled here right now would lead to further times of transparency and honesty with one another, that we would truly be the church. Revive us, restore us, so that as we go on forward as a ministry, we will honor the name of the Lord in this city and, and, and see people who don't know you, God, and come to know you fully and personally. And I pray for these things in Jesus, your great name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Midtown, please go to mtownchurch.ca.